0: And uh, as you all know that we are studying the seven bowls of God's wrath, right from Revelation chapter 15 to 18. And uh, we have come to Revelation chapter 17. Uh, So the last verse that we uh, we saw last Wednesday was, the name written on our forehead was a mystery. Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Then we saw how the author is contrasting uh, Babylon, the mother of prostitutes, and is contrasting with New Jerusalem as the bride, which we'll see in uh, the latter part. In other words, he's trying to say the world is in rebellion against God. So we go to the next verse, 17, 6. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. If you, if you recollect this chapter, in verse 2, John said, Rogue makes others commit adultery by, by their immorality. Because in 17.2, saw, we saw that with her, the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Uh, that's the language he used in 17.2 Now he says the woman herself was drunk with the blood of God's holy people. Now, ancient writers, sometimes they portrayed prostitutes as drinkers. So it is not uncommon uh, to find a phrase like that. But what is stranger is she was drunk with the blood of God's holy people. And they was drunk with the blood. If he has only said she, a woman who was drunk, I don't think people would have been shocked. But now it's a horrifying image. Not only the woman was drunk, she was drunk with the blood and he is qualifying that blood of God's holy people and is further qualifying it, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Now, basically it refers to God's people who were killed, who were martyred under Rome in general. Uh, So people were aware what was happening in in that place those days, they were aware because um, the government of that day, just to keep their people happy, they did two things. One was to give them free grain. The another one was to amuse them, public amusements. And that's why we have that Colosseum. We have that, if you have heard the word Colosseum, uh, the arena we call it, uh, where, they will, the public were amused. What kind of amusement? There is so much of violence, bloodshed in the arena. Uh, Normally what they did was they will bring criminals, they'll bring slaves and they'll also call, the public will also be invited and there'll be a kind of, they'll be put to death Animals will come and tear them into pieces or they'll be set on fire. And that was their public entertainment. If you want to understand this chapter, we have to go back and we have to see the kind of people who are there. And they were looking for this kind of amusements. That shows the evil in man's heart. That's that's the kind of amusements they got used to it. This was considered as an entertainment for them. Now, once the Rome, they they considered Christians as criminals. Now, where do you expect the criminals to land? I've already said that criminals and slaves uh, were special candidates for entertaining the Public. Now they said Christians are also criminals. So they brought Christians to this public arena and the public were entertained. So you can understand they had enough number of criminals because Christians were also criminals. Now they had enough entertainment. That is the kind of environment that was prevailing those days. And John is writing that. There was so much of persecution under Nero. In fact, one of the Roman uh, historian, is not a Christian, he's a non-Christian. This is what he says. Uh, Tacitus is his name, the Roman historian. He says, in the sixties of the first century, a vast multitude of Christians were not only put to death, but put to death with insult. They were either clothed in the skins of wild beasts and then exposed in the arena to the attacks of half famished dogs or else dipped in tar and put on crosses to be set on fire and when the daylight failed to be burned as lights by night. I am amazed at their faith. The more you read about the first century Christians, if they want to avoid this, all that they have to do is just give up the name of Christ and they will be saved. But they did not do it. And that faith is something that keeps challenging me. Imagine children, women, young people, old people, dipped in tar and put on crosses to be set on fire. And if you read the history, the story goes on to say that, I think if I remember correctly, it must be, I think 300 AD, uh, so, there was an Asian monk by name Telmarchus. So, when Telmarchus visited Rome, so he visited this arena one day, and he saw what was happening. And he got up from the that place where he was sitting. He went straight to the arena, and there were two gladiators fighting each other. They were trying to kill each other, and he went in between them. He said, You can kill me. Slowly, people started leaving that place. And from that day onwards, this practice was stopped. Uh, if you can read about Telemachus, uh, I think Telemachus is the name, Asian monk, uh, you can read. That's the kind of environment. That's the kind of violence they were enjoying. Uh, If we are not careful, I think uh, we will also become violent. That's that's one of the reasons why we we should be very careful about the videos we watch. Our heart is deceitful. Though outwardly my heart may say that I denounce it, I don't like it. Uh, But when the heart is exposed to videos like this, unknowingly, it'll start liking it. And this this was what was happening uh, in Rome. Uh, In fact, the persecution was so severe, the attacks on Christians were so violent, and uh, it was so severe. Non-Christians, they they saw this and they were horrified and they started interceding on their behalf. And in the midst of all that, they maintained their faith. And John is writing this verse. And when they read this, they knew and they were glad what John was writing. And interestingly in 17.6, he says, I was greatly astonished. He was shocked. There was such a reaction on his face. He didn't even ask a question because the angel is explaining. And he didn't ask the angel, what does this mean? He was greatly shocked to see this woman who was drunk with the blood of God's holy people. So when the angel saw John's reaction, so then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and 10 horns. The beast which you saw, once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast because it was, it once was, now is not, and yet will come. Uh, this is the way of describing this is known as an ancient uh, rhetorical technique. Uh, what you see is once was, who is not yet will come. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of uh, making fun. Uh, it's a comparison too, because right in chapter one, in verse four, John says, "Grace and peace to you from Him who is, and who was, and who is to come." God is there in the past, in the present, and in the future. But here he is making that comparison: once was, now is not, and yet will uh, yet will come. Now, what does the beast represent? Actually, uh, it's twofold. We can say, Pastor. One is uh, the, the the Rome, uh, the the emperor, and um, the you know the, the the Satan at the end. Uh, we can uh, we can say that the beast represents Rome uh, for the simple reason. Uh, We'll see that here in this chapter, the beast is identified with Rome, because the woman sits on seven hills. Now, Rome was regularly portrayed in this manner. If you if you read the literature of those days, uh, the seven hills it it, it just represents Rome. Uh, of course, the leader of the the leader of Babylon is apparently the new. Uh, Nero, which will come a little later. We will see from verses 8 to 11. uh, We will see that it's new uh, Nero. Uh, Because John is writing sometime in later part after Nero's persecution. In fact, he's writing during Domitian's time. Uh, So, he's talking about a new Nero. We'll come to that. This empire rules over the other kings of the earth. They were the superpower those days. Rome was the world power. Many countries were under its dominion, authority. So who rules, the nations gathered around the sea as a maritime power. They were a superpower. We can, in general, we can say that. And also, Babylon was a standard Jewish title for Rome by this period. Well, whenever the word babylon occurs in, in any jewish literature it uh, in uh, after ad uh, it basically it's it's a kind of it's a reflecting rome so when john was writing this people understood babylon means the mother of prostitutes means it is it is rome so john writes in the next verse uh, he says in the next verse this calls for a mind with wisdom the seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits the seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits okay where have we come across the phrase, uh, this calls for wisdom? Have we come, did we come across this phrase, this calls for wisdom? Reference to triple six, Pastor. Yes, 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 uh, Roshan. Roshan. Yeah, Revelation thirteen eight. this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, that number is triple six, and we have seen it is Nero Kaiser. Uh, When we were decoding this triple six, we said in all probability it refers to Nero Kaiser. And uh, this calls for a mind uh, with wisdom. Basically this this, um, verse draws our attention to this verse. This calls for wisdom, uh, Revelation thirteen eighteen. Uh, so basically it's talking about a revived ruler. Uh, we have already seen that there was a belief that Nero will come again. Though he was dead, uh, he, will, he will come again. Once again, he will come. That's the kind of uh, belief they had those days. Now, the seven hills... Is just Rome because if you read the Roman literature or even on the Roman coins, we actually find this kind of reverend, uh, reference. And also, the Romans had an annual festival called the Septimoni uh, which they celebrated uh, in the month of December. The seven hills uh, are, you know, encircled and they had a festival for that. Yeah, uh, now, know. This, this symbolism is so transparent. For us, it may be a challenge, but during, during John's time, to write like this, it is a risky thing. Because John is clearly mentioning, it's the only thing he has not mentioned Rome. Uh, but uh, the way he's describing ordinary citizen of his day would have, in a way would have come to know he's talking about Rome. Now, if anyone writes like this, Rome was still a superpower and it was a very powerful nation and the rulers were very powerful. Imagine if somebody is writing a letter saying that your government will be destroyed. you, It'll come to an end. What will happen to that person? But John is writing because all the prophets, anyone who just prophesied that Rome will be destroyed, They were considered as uh, enemies of the state because it was a powerful country. And you can see even in the present day history, when a government is powerful and somebody criticizes, what happens to those people? It is in that atmosphere, uh, John is writing. uh, But generally, because it's a word of God, it is not only referring to Rome of that, that, those days, but it is also referring uh, to evil powers in the world beyond Rome's fall. This word is still applicable, still applicable, and right now it represents all evil regime. That's the way we apply the word of God. Now we come to the next two verses. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and he's going uh, to his destruction. We don't have to break our head. Uh, We can keep counting, is it coming from the Augustus, the first ruler, if we start from Augustus, the seven comes very early, Uh, but uh, if we calculate appropriately, we can see that uh, right now it is Domitian who's ruling, one is, so he's the sixth ruler, the one will come, but he will remain only for a little while. And the once was now is not is an eighth king. It's talking about yeah Nero coming again. Uh, that's the kind of language uh, John is using it. Uh, so it it was for th- those days, and we have we don't have to worry. Was the name of the first king, second king, third, fourth, fifth? We don't have to worry. But basically, it's talking about. The the regime has such, Rome has such. Uh, So when we see that 10 horns you saw, are 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. Now, what do the 10 horns represent? What do the 10 horns represent? Maybe the future kings who would come after. Future kings. So who are the future kings? Uh, If you are familiar with apocalyptic literature and the kind of interpretation people do uh, in sixties and seventies, uh where, you know, when the they they refer to this um, European Union and they said, um, they are the 10 horns. And when I think probably they got that figure sometime on January 1, 1981 or something like that, when the 10 figures, 10 nations where uh, they came as a group, Uh, the common market, then they said this verse has been fulfilled. But sadly, by 1990, that number became 15. Now, what do you do with this verse? Because you are prophesied. That's a problem. When we interpret the verse wrongly, then we just don't know what to do because the ten horns here is not at all representing European Union, not at all. Not at all. John had no idea. And John basically is borrowing this from the book of Daniel. Because in Daniel 7.24, it says that 10 horns are 10 kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise. Different from the earlier ones, he will subdue three kings. Basically, it's from, uh, you know, referring to Alexander the Great, And when you read the book of Daniel, you realize uh, the even most Jewish people in the Roman era read uh, Daniel's fourth kingdom as Rome. Uh, So he's borrowing this phrase from the book of Daniel and it has got nothing to do with EU. That's the reason we have to be careful while interpreting the book of Revelation. People will come with, convincing answer saying that we are found out. Now the, the, the world is going to come to an end because in Revelation, it talks about the 10 horns and see these 10 nations have come together. They are the evil nations. Now it's time for the lamb to come. No, we have to be careful while interpreting the book of Revelation. Uh, this, this comes from Daniel. What is the significance of one hour? Because he says, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. I'm just helping us to understand the Bible verse better by asking this question. What do you think by one hour? One hour doesn't mean 60 minutes. One hour, basically, John is saying, their rule will be for a brief time. In order to say it's for a brief time, he says for one hour, it's a way of uh, expressing. And he says that uh, their rule will be only for a brief time. He's encouraging people who are undergoing persecution. Do not think they will stay in power forever and ever. They'll all disappear. Their rule is only for a brief time. It'll be for one hour. So we go to the next verse. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They have only one purpose. That means to fight against the lamb. You will always find the authorities and the rulers of the world, they will all gang up together to fight against the Christians, it is not a new phenomena. It's happening right from the beginning. If you read the history of Christianity, you will find that the rulers were always, always against them. And you, get, that's that's again Psalm two two, the kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed. They all joins their hands together against the Lord and against His Anointed, uh, Psalm 83:5. With one mind, they plot together; they form an alliance against you. So the rulers of the world will all will always join their hands together in fighting against uh, Christians. But in 1714, they will war, wage war against the Lamb. But the Lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Now, who all are referred to as King of Kings? In the Bible, who all are referred to as king of kings? I just want to draw your attention because we, we commonly use, you know, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, rightly. We use that, uh, those appellations, the titles rightly for Jesus Christ, it is right. But I just want to draw your attention that the supreme rulers of the East were also called as king of kings in the Bible. I just just want to highlight that point. Ezekiel um, 26, seven, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, from the north, I'm going to bring against Tyre, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings with horses and chariots, with horsemen and a great army. I just want to say that in the Bible, uh, King of Kings also referred to the supreme rulers of the East. In Daniel 2.37, we find that Your majesty. You are the King of Kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. Now, in John's time, This title was used for the Parthian king. We have already seen in the past about the Parthian rulers. So in John's time, uh, basically this title referred to the king of kings. But in this particular verse, the lord of lords and king of kings, this title refers to our lord Jesus Christ. Interestingly, the lord of lords and king of kings will not come with a heavenly army fully armed to fight this battle. It's interesting, no? Rome is such a powerful state, but the land will not come with a powerful army well armed to fight this uh, battle. Instead of that, His army is called, with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. It is this followers, called, chosen and faithful followers. When God has called us, the outcome of the battle has already been determined is a victorious king. When he has chosen us, he already knows the battle has been won. But only reason, the only thing we should make sure is we are his faithful followers, even to the point of death. And it is this group of people and the Lamb, who will overcome Rome, who will overcome Babylon, the mother of prostitutes. It is this group, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. All those who went to the arena, all those who did not give up on their faith, they are called chosen and faithful followers. And it is with them, the battle is won. The battle is is not won with weapons, uh, by violence. It is by giving up one's own life, this battle is won. Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. The, the first century people's faith is amazing. It is amazing, challenging, encouraging. Uh, when we read their stories, it is, it is, they just lived for Jesus. Come what may they live for Jesus. They didn't give up their faith, amazing faith they had. Now, now this, this people, called chosen and faithful followers. I said uh, in the apocalyptic literature or in the ancient rhetorical style, there will always be a contrast. Okay, now he is contrasting this group of people with the other group that is there in 17, 15, 16. Then the angel said to me, uh, the waters you saw where um, the prostitute sits are peoples You know, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits is explaining. Otherwise, we would have tried to explain what this water, what's the depth. Water represents peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. I said he is contrasting their loyalty. Now, the people who were in alliance with the beast and the 10 horns, the the, the beast, they will turn against her. Their loyalty is limited, whereas the people of the land, they will follow him till to the death. They are faithful people. They were loyal people. But these people, for for them, it's a matter of convenience. I don't know how much you're able to make out of this verse. If you see the politics, uh, if you see the diplomacy, it's all about what is convenient for a particular nation. They don't go with any principles. um, Today, you know, once upon a time, India was considered as pro-Soviet. Today, the language is different because any country, when it, when it comes to diplomacy, whatever is advantageous to them, uh, that's what they'll try to achieve. Here also, the rulers, they, when it was advantageous to them, they will align with the beast. And when they find it is disadvantageous, they'll just desert them. They Will have to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Uh, if you read the diplomatic stories, you will be shocked what all is happening in the world of government. Uh, for example, uh, if you read, I think uh, Charles Colson will write, if you know the Watergate scandal, he was implicated, and then in the prison, he accepted Jesus Christ. And he's the one who started the prison fellowship ministry. And he he was a brilliant man. Uh, So so he writes in his book, uh, when America was supposed to, they had a, when the Saudi Arabia asked American embassy to close their chapel and their nightclub, Uh, that was was the uh, requirement of the Saudi government and you know the American government, what they asked for? What do you think? We Sometimes we say America is a Christian country without knowing uh, whether truly they're Christian or not. The American government, they um, diplomatically, they bargained. Uh, you allow us to have the nightclub, we will close the chapel. So that shows the priority. The priority is nightclub, not the chapel. So. In diplomacy, it's all about what you want, how do you achieve, that's what's happening. Now, the Roman Empire uh, and its allies, they they will turn against each other and then they will bring that country to destructiveness. Evil always destroys itself, it cannot nurture. It'll, it'll destroy itself. You can see any evil regime, it will not last for long. A regime that's uh, indulging in violence, killing, persecution, it won't last for a long, long time. But when we have to live in a regime like that, it is extremely difficult, extremely challenging. We might think, oh, will it ever come to an end? But history, uh, constantly reminds us, uh, it'll come to an end. No power on earth is so powerful that it can remain, evil power can remain on throne forever and ever. Not at all, not at all. In other words, God is acting behind the scene. <clears throat> he is dispensing his justice uh, from time to time. Interestingly, it says, um. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Uh, Again, John is borrowing this term from the book of Daniel, uh, no, from Jeremiah. No, the the fire is from the book of Daniel 7 11. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words and the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. In antiquity, in those days, whenever in the captured nations were always set on fire. That was the tradition and uh, its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. So it's a kind of destruction that John is talking about. Uh, that see this is the kind. This is what will happen to the oppressive regimes. What are you doing? You devastated one. Why dress yourself in scarlet and put on jewels of gold? Today you sound to you seem to be so prosperous. I said scarlet was very expensive those days. You think you are very prosperous. You think you'll you'll always remain in power. Why highlight your eyes with makeup? You you adorn yourself in vain. Your lovers despise you. They want to kill you. People who are in alliance with you, they themselves will turn against you. Uh, Now here, this fire basically, I think uh, John is reminding his readers uh, as to how Nero uh, set Rome on fire and blamed it on Christians. If you read the history, you will get to know that, how um, the Nero uh, blamed the Christians for the fire he set. Uh, mm-hmm. So basically what he's telling is, all these worlds, uh, the allegians are self-interested. Since it is self-interested, it will only be temporary, nothing long-lasting. Today, Rome is very powerful. Today, it's a superpower. Today, nobody can stand against that power. And John is telling, it'll also come down. It'll be destroyed. So 1717, he says, for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. We should always remember God is sovereign even in their evil. And God will use it for his own long-term purpose. Because God is sovereign, we are able to say all things work for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Because God has authority over evil, we should never think that good and evil have same powers, not at all. God is above all authorities. Evil has authority, but God is above all this authority. The Jewish people always, they recognized that the present world was under dominated by evil powers which we find in first John, uh, I think 519. The world is under the control of the evil one, but they always believed The evil one is like angel, is just an angel with limited authority. While God rules forever and ever, these angels have limited authority. God rules the ages. That's how they will say. God is the one who was, is, and is to come. He is past, present, future. He is the alpha and the omega, beginning and the end, the first and the last but the angels have limited authority and this evil will also come to an end. They also believe that he will raise up, uh, he will raise up one nation to judge another. Uh, And God's purpose is different. When he uses one nation to judge the other nation, his purpose is different compared to the present day Uh, governments, when they uh, go against another country, they have selfish interest. Uh, When they go on war against another country, uh, you can always see they have selfish interest. But when God uses it, it's ultimately to achieve his purpose. And uh, he wants to bring evil to an end. Because the world is under the control of the evil one. And he has authority and sovereignty to use that evil power to accomplish his purpose. We can say God can use evil powers to judge other evil people. God alone can do it. God alone can do it. He will use evil powers to judge other evil people. Uh, In Jeremiah 51, 11, it says, sharpen the arrows, take up the shields. The Lord has stirred up the kings of the Medes because his purpose is to destroy Babylon. The Lord will take vengeance, vengeance for his temple. Now, God wants to destroy Babylon, but he will use the kings of the Medes. So God will use evil powers to judge other evil people. So basically what John is telling here is God ruled Rome and its enemies. Everything is under his authority. Today you see a power which is, you know, which is incomparable. It is a superpower. No nation can stand against it. You find, will this power ever fall? Will anybody be able to overrun this country? We might think, no, they are so powerful. The powerful world, nations of this world will also come down in God's plan. That is God's plan. God is supreme, sovereign over every authority in this world. So the last verse of this chapter, the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. The mother of Babylon, the great, the mother of prostitutes. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. is plainly is telling Rome and he's telling what's going to happen to rome it will be destroyed the people who are considered to be allies to this nation they will turn against that nation and it will be it will be brought to ruin that's what he's saying but remember when john was writing this in john's day no one in the roman empire could have doubted that the city um, they, they you know no one could have doubted that that the, the great city that rules over the kings of the earth is no one else but Rome they had no doubt about it when they use the word great city they knew john is referring to Rome and also when he uses the word seven hills he is he is in fact is I don't know why he used the word Babylon because he's clearly telling us he's talking about Rome. But this kingdom of the world will one day come under the authority of our Lord Jesus. Today, everything that we see today, it may not be Rome, it may be somebody else, but everything will come under the authority of our Lord Jesus one day, because God remains the Lord of history. And God continues to work. Now, Rome is not there. Rome, no one will consider Rome as a powerful city, but God is still working behind the scenes because there, there is some other room. In the history, from time to time, Countries that behave like Rome. And today, if you read the history, those who behave like Rome, they are nowhere in the history as of now. So it is a warning to the rulers of the world to know that there is a God who is in charge over this world. Uh, Now, when John is writing this book, He's basically borrowing um, familiar images from the Old Testament. And he's using the Old Testament prophecies against the earlier evil empires. Because if you read in the Old Testament, the real Babylon was an evil empire. And uh, the prophecies, the Old Testament prophecies will point towards Babylon being destroyed. And John is using the, those images or those prophecies to say that Rome will also be destroyed like that. So we, because the word of God is eternal, we can use the very same prophecies to understand the present day evil regimes will also come to an end. They will not remain in power forever and ever because God is in control and God will judge. Uh, So given that Rome fell long ago, how do we apply a prophecy whose primary short-range target was Rome? Uh, Rome is no more a powerful nation. Uh, Like I said, that the evil powers of the world will be brought to judgment. God will judge the evil powers. That is why we need to have a God of justice. If you have only a God of love who does not, who does not judge evil, then you will not be, people will live under an evil regime, will not, it will not comfort them. So God is a God of love as well as is a God of justice. And this is what we see in the Old Testament. This is what we see in the New Testament. And God, even today in the 21st century, he is a God of justice. When justice has been denied to us, to who else will we cry to? If the world, if the the judicial system of the day does not give you justice, what else will you do? You will look to God for justice. So if God is only a God of love, and if he's not a God of justice, then that doesn't satisfy us when we are in struggle. That's why I said, when people say that, you know, God is, you know, the Old Testament, that God was like that. And now the God is not like that. He will not judge. Uh, people have started writing books like that. It may sound nice, but all of them are sitting in a very comfortable environment and they're writing those books uh if somebody is struggling if somebody has been just thrown into prison without any charges just because he happens to be a christian to who, he wants a god of justice he wants god to vindicate him so the issue in revelation 17 18 is basically that uh um, is not only that Rome is an evil empire, uh, Rome was a powerful nation of that day, but it also participated in exporting immorality to other nations. That's what we saw in 17 verse two, Rome Was not only a powerful nation per se, it imported, it exported immorality to the other nations. And you can see that happening right now. The developed countries, the kind of immorality they export, God is watching over that. And the kind of advantage they take of other countries, God is watching over that and they will be judged. That's the message we get from uh, Revelation 17 and 18. We have finished 17. We'll go to 18 um, next Wednesday. If you have any questions. Uh, Asha, I think says Carolyn is asking something. So so Carolyn, you have to unmute yourself. Yeah. Yes, Pastor is asking what is the condition of Rome as per today? As of now, it's not a superpower. So it is not a superpower any longer. Once upon a time, it was a superpower. And uh, the nations which have been judged by God have not come up again. If you read uh, down through the history, Babylon once upon a time was very powerful. But it it has never got its old status back again. It is, thank it is you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so can you spell uh, Telmakas the monk? Can you spell uh, it, please? Do you remember? Uh, T-E-L uh, Maybe T-E-L-E-M-A-C-H-U-S That's right. Okay. Yeah. T-E-L-E-M-A-C-H-U-S Maybe thank 300 AD or 350 AD. <clears throat> Thank you, Pastor. Thank, you. Thanks, Pastor. Any, any other questions? Okay, if there are no questions, um, as you all know, we are having our Friday evening devotions. We had the first devotion on February 19th, We will be having the second devotion on February 26th, that's day after tomorrow. The meeting ID is given 869-607-41893. That'll be the meeting ID. And the passcode will be devotion, preparing ourselves uh, during this Lenten time. We are just dwelling on the cross. Uh, I encourage all of you to, join our Friday evening devotions and if you have friends you you you're most welcome to invite them for the Friday evening devotions. Let's all read it together. Great and marvelous marvelous are your deeds. Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways. King of the nations who will not fear you Lord and bring glory to your name for you alone are holy all nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed glorious father you are the lord of lords and king of kings we bow before you we worship you everything is under your authority we come under your authority and we are so grateful to you lord we are the called people We are the chosen people. Help us to remain faithful till the end. Help each one of us. Strengthen each one of us in our faith walk. Oh God, meet with us at the point of our need. Help us to know you more and more. To walk with you, to commune with you, to hear your words, oh Lord. To be partakers in your plans, oh Lord, for this planet Earth. We bless your name. Bless each and everyone who has participated in this Bible study. We pray, Lord, the words will produce 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold harvest. It's our prayer, O Lord, the word of God will spread and flourish in and through us. Wherever we are, we pray the word of God will just spread and flourish because there is life in the word of God. Bless all of us with good health. Bless us with a good night's rest. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, unfailing love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit remain with each one of us now and forevermore. Amen.